You are listening to The Crisis Beat with Dr. Mark Crowther and Brady Wood. Welcome to The Crisis Beat. This is our episode 11 and it's November 19th, 2023. My name is Brady Wood and I'm a business owner and public relations professional. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Mark Crowther, who in his other life is chair of medicine at McMaster University. Mark, welcome back to The Crisis Beat. Hi, Brady. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks, Mark. What's happening in your world? Uh, not very much. Uh, just the usual is continuing to deal with the communications fallout from the Middle East crisis that's going on. Uh, lots and lots of excitement, people talking about stuff um, and usual work related things. It's convocation season. So I've been to a couple of convocations, which is fun to see all the young people walking across the stage and they're very proud parents standing there. So that's fun. Excellent. That sounds great. Yeah. How about yourself? Um, you know what, Mark? I've been uh, I've been in business mode and family mode, and uh, that's that's the, by and large uh, that's my day to day. Good, good. Uh, we're going to talk today is the in the intro bit, bit, Brady, about the books that you're reading because you've been spending a fair bit of time reading two books that are very popular right now. As you know, I don't really generally read books for entertainment value because of a lack of time uh, plus also attention span but you've been reading about uh, two of our people we've talked about one a lot more than the other we're going to talk more about later uh, elon musk um, who uh, launched his starship yesterday it blew up and is probably the only person in the world who uh, embraces rapid unscheduled disassembly as a fact-finding thing in the launching of multi-billion dollar spaceships. And the other is Arnie, uh, who we've never actually talked about, I don't think, in any depth, although he has been mentioned. So why don't you give us a quick summary on your thoughts on those books? Yeah, Mark, that's, that's right. Yeah, so I, I finished the Elon Musk biography a couple of weeks ago. That was a, a good read, recommend, for sure. But um, yeah, I've also been reading um, and just finished my, um, it's a very quick read, actually, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Be Useful. So actually, Mark, we did talk about Schwarzenegger once on the program in the context of him being the um, governor of California and the way he handled a crisis during his re-election campaign uh, or his election campaign. But um, yeah, the book's very interesting. It, it's like, Schwarzenegger's already had these kind of three great careers, the bodybuilding career, the acting career, and the U.S. politics career. And now he's sort of morphed into a, a bit of an influencer um, on matters of positive uh, self-improvement in the context of working out. So in a way, his life's kind of come full circle. The book is uh, Be Useful, and it's got some really good um, useful information about uh, how to transform one's life. Starting with vision, which I think is actually the hardest part, is to actually develop some kind of vision for your life. He has a very interesting way of talking about it where it's a more incremental vision development as opposed to something you have to firm up immediately. So I found that useful. But um, it also turned me on to he's got a whole ecosystem now with a, he actually is running a daily podcast where you hear Arnold for about nine minutes every day um, and, a, and a newsletter as well. So it's all this new ecosystem of him being you know, sort of Mr. Positive, Mr. Self-Overcoming and giving people useful advice for their lives. So um, ultimately, uh, very interesting. I, I'd recommend that book to folks that are that are in that in that mindset. Cool. Uh, yeah, certainly an accomplished person. Um, probably the only person I've ever heard of in my life in whom the major impediment to running him running for president was uh, that he wasn't born in the United States. Yeah, so he's not exactly. el actually eligible to be president, but was certainly considered as someone who had that kind of material. And yeah, it sounds like he would have been. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, you've also been reading about uh, our very good friend Elon. Yeah. So I don't know if we should kick off there, Mark, or did you want to talk about? Yeah, just tell us about the book, and we'll just use that as an an what do they call it entree into 
the actual story? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about the book uh, in the past, but ultimately the book is, it is a bit of a trauma dump, to be honest. So the book really goes deep into his childhood. There's a large degree of aggressiveness that he grew up around. Um, it goes into how that characterized some of his relationships and uh, and his familial relationships. So you, you do get a sense of someone who um, really rides the line between between risk and stability at all times. And so, you know, ultimately, I think Walter Isaacson saying like this is a depiction of a ultimately still quite flawed person and not necessarily um, a paradigm we should all aspire to. So I found that was an interesting kind of dimension of the book. This isn't just celebrating Elon Musk. On the contrary, it seems like a very kind of raw portrait. But I'd say it was a little bit too on the personal and a little less on some of it was a lot about the business deals and the human interactions and a little bit less on the on some of the science and and some of the accomplishment behind you know a guy who's ultimately created like at least five companies with multi-billion dollar valuations so re- really remarkable life but also you know it effectively problematizes him as a as a kind of character that is um that is difficult to sum up in in a lens that we all find digestible as a moral actor for example it's not it's not clear that he's it's not that he's immoral, but I, I would also say that um, he's on his own mission to to save humanity. Actually, that's a very other another interesting dimension of the book. He kind of contrasts himself, and I've seen this in the press as well. Like he almost calls religious people people that belong to like a death cult, whereas he's actually interested in continuing consciousness. And so, if he had a vision, a purpose for his life. It seems to be about adv- keeping human consciousness alive and and expanding in the universe as a survival um, instinct. Very interesting. Yeah, certainly a guy who, as we've talked about before, is not to be underestimated under any circumstance. Uh, we have a couple of standard updates. I just thought it would be worthwhile talking about um, these before we get into the business of the day. So first update is our ongoing um, discussion of the airline industry. Uh, just a couple of interesting things. Uh, Air Canada, um, which uh, is Canada's flag carrier defined as a country which has a single major international carrier or the largest international carrier, continues to get in the news for not good reasons. A litany of um, times over the last couple of months where they've lost people's wheelchairs, or didn't ship people's wheelchairs, uh, broke people's wheelchairs, uh, dropped uh, a person in their wheelchair off a lift or something like that, or some kind of injury occurred as a result of a lift getting someone in and out of a wheelchair. Some poor guy who had to drag himself off the airplane because they couldn't somehow get a chair in to get him off the airplane. Not great. No, it, and and what the reason I mention this is is it. I'm sure this must happen to other airlines. Like it just must, right? It's a complicated business. You're moving hundreds of thousands of people a day. Some of those people have disabilities. Uh, You you do your best, but occasionally you're going to make mistakes. Um, But it seems that Air Canada can't get in front of this because I can see it happening once or twice. The kind of piece de la resistance was when they lost or damaged, I think it was lost the wheelchair for the woman who's Canada's um, head honcho of disability action at the federal government. And like, it just strikes me that they've A, got to improve their quality control and B, then get ahead of the messaging because you don't want your airline to be known as the airline that loses people's wheelchairs. You want to be known as the world's airline that gets people to where they want to go most of the time on time with most of their bags intact. Yeah, and obviously that's a huge issue of, uh, of of human dignity that they have should have sorted out uh, over decades ago, not 
something they're still scrambling to figure out because I don't know what I don't know what the percentage of the population of of the uh, requires that kind of assistance or um, but it's it's significant enough you should have a wheelchair protocol if you're running an airline. Yeah, that means people and are treated with dignity at all times. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and 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 that you that you know if 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 something unfortunate happens because you're running a big complex operation. You, you, you have, you're on top of it so that when that person reaches out to you to say this happened and that happened, you have an infrastructure that springs into place to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And not that it happens repetitively. And then the other one with respect to the airlines is we had two, um, uh, two, uh, differing, um, us airline stories that I thought were interesting just because of how well the companies did or didn't get ahead of the of the uh, issues. So the first was apparently at some point in the past, the dates and information is a little bit unclear because they're not specified in the charge sheet. Uh, a Delta Airlines co-pilot um, threatened to shoot uh, the pilot's captain um, because they were going to divert to, because of a medical emergency. It's unclear whether they did or not. We do know he didn't shoot him because there wasn't, that, that event didn't happen. And Delta chose not to say anything at all about this, which I can guess I can understand given HR, but in reality, it's probably not a great idea to let the news just leak out in a charge sheet. Uh, turns out that the U.S. government also screwed up here a little bit because the guy ended up uh, being in the Middle East because he's a Air Force reservist. And obviously somebody didn't check to see whether the person being transferred to Germany, in this case, uh, had an active charge uh, before they flew him over to Germany to act as a pilot or some kind of advisor in the U.S. Air Force. That was an example, I think, where an airline failed to get ahead of a story, and that just can't be good for you. Uh, whereas a po- many people have heard about the Alaska Airlines pilot, where the pilot tried to turn off the engines to crash the airplane. This is a guy who's on narcotics or something, right? Yeah, it's a little controversy. Mushrooms. Um, it's not entirely clear whether he was actively influenced by the time or if he'd had them in the past and and had some kind of sleep deprivation state or something. The details just really aren't very clear. But but he did try to crash the airplane and and the commentators were actually talking about this in the opposite way. It's, it really followed the best practices in terms of crisis communication. And so far as the company was announced things proactively, got as much details out in front of the public as they possibly could, made sure the passengers were correctly looked after. It was a really textbook um, approach to uh, managing a crisis and could serve, I think, as an example about how a moderately large to large company, because Alaska Airlines is a pretty big company, actually can have policies and procedures in place that allow them to react to these completely unexpected things on very short notice and really make the problem disappear very quickly because there's not any mystery left over. The, you know, there's no way that Alaska Airlines could have predicted that a pilot who was off duty in a fully packed airplane would attempt to turn off the engines and then blame it on uh, mind-altering substances, at least indirectly, and yet they were able to respond to that crisis pretty quickly with some pretty good quality communications. Yeah, it sounds like the airline itself didn't take a hit. There's a fascination about this story, but not about the airline's handling. I think that's the the outcome that we can see. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like no one is, this has not flashed back at all on Alaska Airlines, whereas the wheelchair story has clearly flashed back onto onto Air Canada. Yeah, I think Uh, folks, especially in Canada, if you're reading national news, like that's sort of, even for me now, an association I have with that airline. So we will, uh, we'll link these articles as we usually do when we publish this, uh, this uh, podcast episode. Yeah. And then our other regular updates, uh, we're going to talk more about uh, Mr. Musk in a second. And uh, the uh, royal family has been quite quiet recently, uh, which is interesting. The uh, There's right now in Canada, one of the sort of second tier royals is doing a tour and got extremely good uh, press in the national media over the last couple of days. Uh, so, you know, the royal family's keep calm and carry on philosophy, which we've talked about for a long time uh, on and off, seems to be yet again working uh, in that the royal family's appears to be preserved and perhaps somewhat enhanced and the uh, world privacy tour appears to have finally kicked in yeah i don't know i don't i don't hear as much you know you i saw some news about Meghan markle and where suits for whatever reason the show that she was on it's achieved some new streaming milestones so people have started to renew watching old episodes of suits and I've seen some rumblings that they have some marital discord and also that they're still looking to do some more other entertainment deals unclear what their brand value is it's hard to quantify but we can still assume that it's down but they've been largely quiet and ineffective at kind of drumming up i think a lot of more a lot more um energy around their plight as uh as exiled royals (laughs) good way to put it um all right so let's move on to that we have two stories for today and i think you're going to probably cover the main content for most of them uh the first is the uh apec meeting i think it was the apec meeting in san francisco which kind of took second uh place to uh the meeting between uh president biden and uh the president prime minister president of china uh went probably better than most people were expecting except for a little bit of a flub at the end by president biden yeah, we'll and so you flub. you might want to just do you want to give us a quick summary on what happened there brady yeah yeah so that's right um so that it was an international meeting apec in um and it's the first time uh xi jinping the president of china's had an opportunity to meet with the u.s president since about 2017 um really important diplomatic meeting um so there those tensions have kind of risen uh, between the Chinese and U.S. Uh, governments. Lots of interesting public communication speaking to that tension. Strange events since even January of, of this year, the spy balloons, more tension about Taiwan, complex web of relations around the conflict in Ukraine, and even in, in the in the Middle East, uh, Israel-Palestine conflict, there's an underpinning of how China and the U.S. are sort of at, the, at a bit of a, a inflection point. And so some people have been speculating the relationship is at its worst since the 70s. And there were a lot of positive photo ops and a, po- and a few like areas where they seem to reach some level of agreement and understanding. And so to everyone's credit, everything seemed to go quite well uh, until at the end of a press conference, uh, someone reminded President Biden that in June he had characterized Xi Jinping as a dictator. And uh, this reporter asked him, would he still characterize him? that way and sort of off the cuff uh biden just uh i think uh, did his biden shtick uh against script and said yes he's still a dictator listen he runs a country with a different system than us and uh so effectively validated that and and i think it was the bbc or someone but thank god they caught this so 
the Secretary of State for the U.S. is Anthony Blinken. And the wince that he uh, expresses just after Biden says this, like you just know that Biden has completely upset the the apple cart. And so um, almost immediately, uh, China itself had a response. The Chinese foreign, foreign ministry spokesperson came out and strongly opposed that character, characterization and said how harmful it is to uh international relationships. So through the crisis communications lens, and I think we see, uh, we're going to talk about Elon Musk next, and then Sam Altman's ouster and potential re-entry at OpenAI as well. But like like Elon Musk, it's sort of the folks in the position of power in the seat, their small human moments can just have these kind of catastrophic um, impacts. So I was sort of trying to think about this through the lens of crisis communications best practice. So these words in international diplomacy, they carry so much weight. And really, the crisis communications is a parallel function where you're always just trying to manage a message effectively and sensitively. You see this all the time with Biden, too, Mark. I'm sure you've seen this, where effectively he says something and his staff is sort of quick to backpedal um, uh, later. So, you know, it's 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 really interesting. But to, for him to continuously make these flubs, it, it makes Biden, to me, like a very dangerous and irritating actor. I think if I was in his office, like the behind the scenes must be really, really difficult. Um, yeah, it's very, it's very interesting because um I, I, you know, he this is this is pinned on his age. Uh but I don't know. You know, he's old, but he's not that old. There's lots of highly functioning people his age around. I see them in my practice. Um I wonder how much of this is actually this is just him. And that's the way he thinks and that's the way he talks. And, you know, in a kind of odd way, I think he's right, isn't he? You know, the country is not a democracy in the sense that we understand it. It's not a monarchy. (laughs) If it's not a democracy, it's not a monarchy. It's got to have some kind of autocratic government system. And he's defining it the way he defines it. Uh, As you said, though, the problem is that the words carry more weight than then they probably should. And they have importance that goes well beyond what the words themselves are. Yeah, I mean, there's something about Biden, though, and I think you're right to say, is this really an age thing? Because there's a quote, it's apocryphal, but I think that when um, Biden was going to run for president, I think it was, someone claimed pretty credibly that behind the scenes, Obama said, (laughs) don't underestimate Joe's ability to F things up. (laughs) <laughs> so so I think he was always a bit of a shoe in mouth kind of guy and he's now ended up the president at a very very tense time and he has handled some things like kind of well I think but um it's kind of shocking so I think about the corrective actions of that team so I think that the you you see this a bit like people I think the team has to maybe not go against what he said but in a way almost um almost sidestep the president's words and just reemphasize um, the areas of cooperation where they have respect because they've got to give some balance to these remarks without potentially just um, renouncing them because I don't think Biden is going to come back and say oh I did I made a mistake although that that might be an advisable thing but again there's a really huge power dynamic thing here so I don't think these folks really seem to worry quite a lot about telegraphing strength and presenting that and that's something about the international chessboard that's important as well. But I do think there's still going to be a ton of work behind the scenes from the diplomatic corps around how do we get behind this. So, yeah, the former joint chiefs of staff chairman Mike Mullen weighed in on this 
And he said, that, he said basically that we've got to avoid name calling at such high levels and then praise the meeting's accomplishments. So it's almost like other folks end up doing yeoman's work when someone like a president has a flub. And that that's interesting. I'd love to see the behind the scenes of that and the amount of uh, scrutiny and parsing and effort that goes in uh, when there's a kind of cleanup on aisle Biden. <laughs> yeah, it is completely true that and I, it, that anybody's you know, that that's a great message for the whole business of communications that words carry a lot more weight than we think they do. And, you know, I can cite some personal examples where I uh, have said things which I passed off as innocent or not having any weight. And because of the position that I'm in, um, the other, the people around me would absolutely not have endorsed the lack of significance of those words. And I've done a lot of communication training and uh, also have done a lot of leadership development training. And there are many, 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 many useful things that I've learned over the years by doing that. But top amongst them is the fact that, when, particularly when you're in a leadership position and when you're in the second most powerful position in the world, because I think Elon Musk is probably more powerful than Joe Biden now, uh, you you really have to be extraordinarily careful about what you're saying, because if you aren't, uh, you're going to get into trouble very quickly. Yeah, I think that's maybe one of the key takeaways is that importance of like leadership training on these these fronts. And I'm sure these folks have been trained to death. So there's something there's almost like a faulty flaw in someone like Biden that he goes beyond candor to just like stupid foible faults. Um, but but again, we're, we'll see that again in the next case of Elon Musk as well. It's like you've got to got to question the utility of that and why someone would allow that if it's are we all interminably fallible or is this something that can be so can be more heavily scripted? The alternative to that being, if you're so heavily scripted that you lose your authentic candor, can you maintain those positions or get them in the first place? So there's a weird balance here. And I, I think it also relates back to that theme we've talked about, Mark. We won't get into it too much, but the kind of um, the kind of uh, negative actor who seems to skirt these these communication faults like this is another potential example of that and the next one maybe being even more so um maybe we'll just jump into that this yeah case. so yeah absolutely and i would this just say that, that that uh before we go there just for one second you know donald trump is the is kind of the always the the foil of all these things because he can say and do things that are way beyond that that joe biden could say and do and he actually gets celebrated for it, which is extraordinarily unusual. But uh, moving on to our next story. So our uh, the, the as they say, friend of the podcast, uh, Elon Musk, uh, has gotten himself into reasonable trouble again. Uh, just before that, I mentioned earlier, just to run through some of the highlights that I've learned. Um, so many of us uh, were aware of the fact that uh, Starship launched on Saturday, uh, said generally to be a failure because the booster didn't land, which is kind of a weird comparator because for the first 60 years of the space race and for every single one of his competitors, nobody lands the booster. So it's not a failure for anybody else but him. Apparently over the summer, I don't know whether in what jurisdiction, but the Model Y, the Tesla, was the best-selling car in significant number of jurisdictions in the world, uh, beating out Toyotas uh, for the first time ever. That's the new little sedan, right? Yeah, it's the Model it's Y's the, the little sedan. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's the intermediate size one. And you know, obviously, if, if, if it's selling that many, it's doing extremely well. Um, his uh, Boring Company, great name for a company, uh, is making waves by building this car-driven subway under Las Vegas. Uh, his uh, um, Human Robotics Interface uh, Company. Neuralink. Got, yeah, Neuralink just got approval for fairly advanced experimentation. Uh, or chat GPT, um, which is probably listening to this and about to shut us down, uh, may have achieved consciousness. <laughs> that sounds like it. Yeah. Um, I'll talk about over, that. Over the last few days. And so this guy's behind all that. Uh, and now he's gotten himself into trouble with some comments. So Brady, why don't you give us a bit of uh, information about this? Yeah, this was um, this was just this week. Uh, again, this is all really timely content. So um, this week, uh, there was a he responded to a post on X. So the the initial discussion centered on anti-Semitism amid that Israeli-Hamas conflict, and he he replied to a comment that insinuated that Jewish communities were fostering hatred against whites and promoting immigration of minorities, who, according to the commenter, were not in favor of the Jewish community themselves. Um, and so Musk's response said you have said the actual truth. And so that was perceived to echo the sentiments of, uh, you know, this kind of great replacement theory and a sort of white supremacist ideology that I don't totally understand. But even just saying that, you can see how that would cause an immediate controversy. Interestingly, some even right-wing Jewish commenters have have given him a pretty generous read because he went on after this to really say that his his comments were really focused on the Anti-Defamation League, and some elements, but not all of the Jewish community. But ultimately still pretty, pretty, like, why would you bother? I mean, that's that if I, if I was face to face with him, I would say, why would you bother? And maybe he would say, well, I just have to be my own person. But it just seems like such a silly thing to wade into. It's not, it's not productive. It almost feels like it's maybe cathartic for him with all the other stresses he has going on to just sort of blurt out and participate in things like this when he's stressed. And they cover that in the book, actually. So like when he called the there was someone who called him out about um, about the folks that were were um, stuck in the cave that were being rescued. And he called them like he called a guy a pedo guy online. And that ended up uh creating a lawsuit. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't have all the details that clear, but it does seem like he has these sort of little eruptions. So anyway, there were some pretty significant um, reactions to this. So um, overall, already on the platform, the monthly US ad revenue on X, since he bought Twitter and turned it into X.com, that ad revenue is already down 55% year, year over year each month since he bought the company and made some transformations. So reacting to this comment, which was really seen as, as completely white supremacist, racist, um, anti-Semitic, a bunch of companies, starting with Apple, said they're pulling their advertising. There have been some previous advertising issues on X.com this week as well, where ads were ads from like IBM were being placed with some anti-Semitic or white supremacist content. So there's a weird linkage here as well. Um, coincidental, I think, or at least being presented that way. But yeah, so Warner Brothers, Discovery, Sony, IBM, Lionsgate, Paramount, they've paused their advertising for the moment. So the loss of these ad advertisers, given the reliance on ad ad revenue already and the you know they've also estimated that it's lost over half of its value since he bought it for 44 billion so that is one uh, thing he's taken on that i think is headed downward in a weird way but 
the, the, the degree to which he's personally contributed to that is really significant. Um, and there's also some calls for his involvement in some of the other companies to be to be brought back. So he and again, he he did take a pretty con- like crisis communications theory. Did he do the right thing after that? No, it was pretty conf- confrontational stance. Like he was he wasn't trying to bolster his reputation and say, hey, this, that. He just took a he took aim at the Anti-Defamation League in particular and said that effectively they are they are doing that by taking aim at some elements of white communities and encouraging um, anti-Semitic immigrants to come to the U.S. and other countries. So I'd say that deviates pretty significantly from what we would say is the ideal crisis communications or crisis management approach, which, again, in this case, might offer some apology or conciliatory gestures and maybe some attempt at uh, at what might be called damage control. Yeah, it's interesting because he, based just upon his economic might and his obvious intellectual might, he's gotten away with a lot. Um, he p- certainly is starting to appeal appear not so resistant to this as some of the other players who are um able to uh say and do things which we don't agree with is this is this part of a grand plan do you think is there any communication strategy built into this well i mean so the, the funny thing that i find and again a grand plan it's hard to say but it's interesting that there were advertiser issues on this very important social issue that we're all thinking about at the same time that he's made this comment, which then further derailed the advertising issues. Like, I don't understand. I can't imagine why he would want to um, bottom out Twitter because he seems to have aspirations. He's called X.com like an everything app where he'd like to add in other functionality so that people are using this app for other things in their day-to-day lives beyond just this communications platform. But I don't understand why he would want to then bottom it out. So I don't think there's a strategy for his kind of radical candor or what i would say is just kind of shooting from the hip kind of occasional commentary like that public and industrial response has been majorly critical people have called for his resignation um the facebook co-founder dustin moskovitz uh people like ross gerber indicated like there's just like a noticeable shift in in the perception of his brand as well amongst peers and things so i mean some people have gone even so far as to say is this the end of his era of like being being the dominant, you know, he's like kind of the Tyrannosaurus Rex of Silicon Valley. Is this the end of that? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, Mark, I think for me, it would be that the strategy would be to a um, really make clear what he meant, which I think he attempted to do, but he need to do that in a non-confrontational, fairly conciliatory way. Um, I think it would probably behoove him to say, I'm not going to communicate this way. I'm going to, I'm going to be a little less of a cowboy. But again, this is part of his uh, DNA when you read that Walter Isaacson book. I don't think he can help himself, quite frankly. So I don't know about the long-term effects of reputation and leadership across his businesses. I don't even think it's fully understood because obviously this this particular issue can really derail careers as well. You know, we saw that with with Kanye West making anti-Semitic remarks. And, you know, there's probably over a billion dollars of value lost in his deal with Adidas running aground and all, all of that, uh, as, as you and I have looked into more recently as well. So, um, you know, for me, I'm perplexed. I'm perplexed. But I, I think that's why these cases are important. I think we have to try to make sense of them. 
I like this one with Elon Musk against versus a case like Donald Trump, where Donald Trump, it's less measurable, like the ups and downs of what his flubs or faults are causing him. And in some ways, people are galvanized to the fault, like they they enjoy that he is that kind of person. With Elon Musk, like, a, you know, he's playing a game that's right out in the public with public companies and the impacts are measurable. So I think we're going to just keep our eye on him moving forward. But this one's interesting. Again, uh, for whatever reason, Twitter has not been a success. I, I don't think I don't, I don't think you could say you bought something for 44 million and it's worth 22 and you've done a good job running it. That, that would be so unless there's some long term upswing that's coming. Um, I think we'll have to look out. But in, in this case, I think he's harmed himself. And we'll see maybe by the next podcast, has this harmed other dimensions of his businesses? Yeah. And you made a Freudian slip there because you said 44 million when in fact it was <laughs> Billion. Three, extra, three extra zeros missing there. Yeah. And uh, it's soon going to be worth 44 million. You and I were talking about a completely unrelated issue this morning. And I get I, I find it entertaining when my colleagues and you say something is blowing up on Twitter. And I don't think that's actually very relevant to almost anybody anymore compared to the way it was in the distant past. I think in reality, people just aren't paying attention to that particular media stream in anywhere near the way they were before. I'm thinking, I'm trying to figure out whether I should remove it from the front page of my phone because it's occupying one of the squares where I could put something else. And other than the video game I play was down earlier today. So I had to look at the tweeter, that's whatever it's called, tweet feed to figure out whether it was actually down or it was just my computer. I don't know the last time I ever looked at Twitter for anything useful. I've actually gone back, believe it or not, I know this is an old person's platform, to getting information off Facebook when I'm looking to see what time a restaurant's open, for example. Right. Well, that, that's that's interesting. But I, I, I kind of feel the same. I, I read uh, Twitter quite a lot during the pandemic, and my usage has just dwindled as well. I'm not sure that's because of Elon Musk exclusively but uh, or in any way to be honest but um i do chime in from time to time and actually what drew me back to twitter this week was this issue with open ai if you wanted to transition to that mark but i i started tuning in there to see if i could get the behind the scenes on why um the you know the ceo and co-founder of open ai sam altman was very quickly and and suddenly fired by his board um yeah, so again i think excellent and and sounds like Relevant to this podcast, the uh, the board and Microsoft, which is a funder, are doing damage control. So maybe you can give us a summary of that one as well. Yeah, a really odd case. Um, so we all know OpenAI Sam uh, CEO is uh, Sam Altman. Uh, recently, he was just this week, so Thursday, and so this all went down Thursday, Friday. We're now recording this podcast on Sunday. So he was at the Apex Summit as well in San Francisco. And he was talking about AI. And he said this very peculiar thing that I think had a lot of people raise their eyebrows. But he said, I think this will be the most transformative and beneficial technology humanity has yet invented. And then he added, on a personal note, four times now in the history of OpenAI, the most recent time just in the last couple of weeks, I've gotten to be in the room when we push the veil of ignorance back and the frontier of discovery forward. So most people read that as, you know, um, has has um, have they created artificial generalized uh, intelligence, um, which is worrisome. This is the point at which artificial intelligence uh, can become, to some degree, sentient and and to a large degree, much more intelligent than any human would be capable of. Um, and so, basically, a day later, he he seemed to walk into a boardroom and was told by the board that he was being being fired. The statement uh, had to had to do the board statement had to do with uh, uh, 
to some degree not being able to trust his candor in some way and speculation has just uh just sort of exploded so it's it's a very intriguing case um so he made this bullish speech at apec and then there's some kind of internal power struggle and so some of the media coverage has hinted at ethical concerns so this fundamental conflict at OpenAI between his vision for rapid growth and ethical concerns by their chief scientist and a, and a co-founder called Ilya Sutskever. So Ilya Sutskever was actually Elon Musk's find. He's a world-renowned AI uh, scientist. He's the person who is really the brains behind um, ChatGPT. And, and he's also someone who's spoken out very forcefully long before he was even a part of OpenAI about the threat as well of artificial intelligence. So in a way, he's kind of an Oppenheimer-like character. Like he's participated in this step by step, but he already sounds quite regretful and scared about what is, is going on. Um, so there's this deeper power struggle. And, um, you know, it does it, it does also, it's so messy. Like this is a multi-billion dollar company. You would expect a company like this to be the peak of kind of tuned up corporate governance. And frankly, to me, like it sounds like a condo board meeting, like it sounds like, you know, scheming and behind the scenes and then like randomly like they fired both um, Sam Altman and then diminished the role of uh, of the president who I, I forget his full name, but he goes by the nickname Grok. And, and he actually resigned outright after he was diminished to just an employee. And so long series short, it's sort of what's happened there and how do they regain public confidence? And so there wasn't really um, a transparent and clear rationale for why the board made the change. I think it really undermines their con the, all, all of our confidence in their leadership. Like this is a fairly important company to all of us, I think, at this point, because it does feel like a lot is, is hinging on it. And, and this just sets this company up as a, with a need to sort of rebuild trust. And so now, interestingly, um, what, what's happened in the last couple of weeks, or sorry, last couple of weeks, in the last couple of hours, is the board seems to have reconvened under pressure from Microsoft and has uh, re-engaged Sam Altman about coming back to OpenAI as the CEO. So just restoring him to his previous role. So a little bit of what sounds like was going on behind the scenes. I think they've gotten whatever chat GPT-5 is, we're now at the four version. It sounds like it's another quantum leap forward in the technology. It also sounds like Sam Altman may have been out proselytizing, at least not proselytizing openly in the public, but privately to potential uh, vendors and donors that this was a significant development, maybe doing another raise of capital uh, for OpenAI and, you know, hitting that uh, a, a very large valuation. And then behind the scenes, the chief scientist was saying, well, yes, we did get there, but I think we need to we need to dampen this and maybe slow ourselves down. And I think that in discussions with the board, somehow Altman ends up uh, um, exited. So now there, it's a the, everyone in the world is watching this issue over the last forty eight hours. And now the question is, what's going on in that boardroom, and what will happen next? So to me, it's you know I think that I I can't I. I Unless there was some impropriety by Sam Altman, it's it strikes me that he's done a remarkable job. You'll, you'll remember, by the way, he was the lead of Y Combinator in Silicon Valley before this. He has a really remarkable track record. He's definitely a bit of a glory hound from the way people talk about him, like really, you know, likes to be out in front and in, in the public. But again, that's part of the job on, on, on an important file like this. Like they've got a remarkable technology. They want people using it. We all benefit from using it. Mark, I I can easily confess that I use ChatGPT 
and Dolly and the, you know, the more kind of extended um, products that are available from OpenAI. I use them daily and I'm not, I'm not trying to proselytize for them. I'm just saying there's a functional reality for, um, for we, we folks that are out doing corporate jobs in interacting with th these new tools. Um, so how do they regain trust? They're going to have to put some effort into that. And frankly, Mark, I think if he's regained leverage and power and he's coming back into the company, I bet that board is going to be torched. I can't imagine the majority of that board surviving if he comes back in because it's just a public, a public debacle for the company, which to some degree sounds unnecessary. Yeah, it's, I, I, it's very interesting to watch. Um, I also use ChatGPT multiple times every single day. Uh, and in fact, uh, used it this morning to do something that, which would have taken me at least an hour of my time, which took it a minute of its or less than a minute. Uh, so it's an incredible technology. It, it does require <laughs> careful monitoring. And I hope that whoever runs it keeps the, keeps the plug in their hand so they can unplug it when it decides to deal with these soft squishy things that are screwing up the planet um but it is a very it's a very interesting story to watch as it evolves as you very carefully and lucidly stated because it's another example of a companies whose crisis is unfolding in front of us and that the the skills that are being deployed to try to manage the messaging are not up to the task for some reason. No, yeah, no company I mean, that, should be. that dimension of it is completely shocking. The announcement from the board, the media handling following the amount of speculation that it's generated, it's just, it's inexcusable for a company of this caliber. Yeah, absolutely. And like the airline stories, but we did back at the end of last year when they lost everybody's bags. You know, we said Southwest would come back. I haven't seen Southwest's financial statements, but I have no doubt that they are in rude health, probably better than they were before. Mm. So OpenAI will undoubtedly recover. There's another story we should do at some point along the same kind of lines, which is Boeing and Spirit Aerosystems, where uh, another big company, Boeing, um, has been through a lot over the last decade. And one of their main suppliers has had consistent quality issues. And in the airline industry, quality is extraordinarily tightly monitored, uh, more than any other business, I suspect. And so what in most companies would be just a bad day turns into a quality crisis. But the the strategies and communications followed around that have not been done well either and have led to significant loss of confidence in the relationship and in the companies that are involved in that. And this is another example of that, where if the company can't telegraph to us or tell us that they have their handle on good governance, how can they be trusted to run the uh, intelligence solution, which could come alive and take over the world and kill us all off? It seems they're not up to the task. <laughs> they definitely. Now that you framed it that way, Mark, I'm actually terrified. I think that that, uh, yeah, I'm really concerned that that is the governing body of OpenAI, that they kind of made a mess of just handling CEO. I don't know what you would call it, like CEO controlling their CEO, not that like CEO should be controlled, but whatever it is. Yeah, it is a very, very interesting problem. Yeah. Uh, and and the broader issue of the uh, the the fact that big companies 
can't get a handle on how to properly communicate just continues to boggle my mind. And I think it boggles your mind as well. Like it is a having great quality, highly prepared communication strategies is a critically important part of running a large business in the in the century that starts with two zero. And yet it seems week after week, even day after day, we find evidence of companies that just can't seem to get this right. Yeah, I think it makes a case too, Mark, for something that's come up from time to time in the literature and uh, comes up in, in my own thinking for sure and, and uh, in discussion with other colleagues that do um, sort of high-end PR. But, you know, you're expected as a board member to have that. You you are in a way an external internal listening device and you are supposed to think about the reputation of the organization. But at both the executive level beside the CEO or as part of the CEO's role or both, as well as with the board, there has to be this kind of um, high-touch communications person, I think. Like someone should have been able to calculate in that room of board members that, hey, this isn't going to play out that well. And if they didn't have that person on the board, I think it, it does make a case for some kind of function that's communications, reputation management specific at that level. Whether that's just a counselor, like that, in the, that gets involved, and they just have to remember, like, hey, can you ask Mark what he thinks before we do this really insane thing we're about to do? Yeah, I I could not agree more. It is a very interesting, um, interesting conundrum that these people find themselves in for sure. Uh, anyway, Brady, we should probably. Uh, yeah, yeah, we should probably finish up for this week. So we'll look forward to chatting again in a couple of weeks uh, and we'll go from there. Any uh, any last minute thoughts? No, Mark, great episode. Thank you for joining me. And uh, yeah, we'll continue this in a couple of weeks. Excellent. Okay, thanks, Brady. Bye.